Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to week three of our series, Psalms, here on the College Age Movement podcast. A little bit of a recap from the last two weeks. We asked the question two weeks ago, are we willing to camp close to Jesus? Are we willing to give him significant time? We need to look at our lives and see if, if we're actually giving Jesus a priority in our list of to-dos every day, in our list of priorities. And so we want to be people who are willing to get close to Jesus in every area of our life and make sure that we're intentional about doing that. And then last week we talked about bringing our mess to Jesus, that the messiest, most broken parts, the, the, the parts that we want to hide from God and from people are the parts that we need to bring to Jesus because those are the parts that need the most redemption and He is the Redeemer. And we also talked about being willing to bring complaints to Jesus, that he can handle them if, if we've got something to say. So those are the things that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. And this week we're going to be in Psalm chapter 12, which mo- like most of the book of Psalms is written by David. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we are, we're going to find ourselves looking at David, making this appeal to Jesus in Psalm chapter 12. We'll jump in in verses one through four. It says, help Lord for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues, we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? The first point today is this, is be willing to make an appeal before the Lord. Be willing to make an appeal before the Lord. David is going before God and pointing out something that he believes is unjust. He was something that he believes is not right. And I think that there's this fallacy that we believe that we do not have a place to point out the wrongs of our world to the one who created the world. And and I think that it happens for a couple different reasons. One, I think some of us believe that if they are happening in the first place, he doesn't care. That if we see pain, we see injustice, we see all of those things, that God must not care about those things. But that's a lie. And I would just encourage you to kill that lie today. Jesus cares so much that he's willing to do not only what he did by coming and dying on the cross, but by also participating in our lives on a regular basis. And the second reason that I think that that we feel weird about it, about bringing these these appeals before God about the things that we see that that are unjust in the world, and I think this is where probably where most most of us would land, is that we feel unqualified to point out the imperfections of our world because we ourselves are imperfect people, that we recognize our own messiness and our own brokenness, so we feel ill-equipped to point out the messiness and the brokenness of our world. But David is a perfect example of an imperfect man. Like if you read scripture and you read David's life, he was broken. He was messy. He did some stupid, stupid stuff just like you and I do. But he was still willing to bring his petitions before the Lord. It's really important for us to understand that seeing the pains, the injustices, the problems of our world really falls in line with the idea of self-awareness. And I know that that might be a confusing statement, so let me explain. Every problem on earth is a product of broken humanity. Every problem on earth is a product of broken humanity, not an uninterested God. You see, we create problems collectively. Like I create problems, you create problems. I create problems for my own life, but I also have created problems for other people's lives and other people have created problems for my life. And that is just a cyclical thing that our whole world is guilty of. And it's this self-awareness that, that brings us to the throne of God. To understand that that all of the problems in our life, all the injustice, all the messy parts is a, is a byproduct of human, broken humanity. 
And so we need to have the self-awareness to say, hey, hey, Lord, I need to petition to you to intercede. I need you. God sees it. But like a father, he's waiting for us to, to bring it to his feet and say, hey, I need help here. We need help here. The world needs help here. As a dad, um, I see my kids do a lot of stupid things. I have three kids. I have a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a five-month-old, not five-month-year-old. And the five-month-old doesn't do anything stupid yet because she can't. Uh, but the six- and five-year-old definitely do stuff all the time. And as a dad, there's this, there's this fine line. Like you want to intercede before things really go off the rails, before somebody gets severely hurt. Um, but you also want to, to watch them kind of work it out and <laughs> go through the process of figuring out what it is that they can handle and what it is that they need help with. And uh, there was something this last Sunday night, I had my my family over uh, and Larissa and I cooked dinner for my mom. It was her birthday and we had my nephew there and they were running upstairs in our house and, and I could hear him running, getting kind of crazy. And, and I was like, man, this is borderline. Like, do I need to go down up there and remind them to be careful or not? And I decided not to because I'm the dad of the year. And uh, all of a sudden my son comes running down and says, Zara, who's my daughter, uh, Zara, Zara is bleeding. And so I run upstairs. Zara's not freaking out at all. So I'm like, oh, you're fine. Like, what What do you mean? You guys You guys don't know what you're talking about. And then I pull her into the bathroom, and I, I kind of split her little hair, and uh, there's a big old gash in her head, and she's bleeding pretty profusely. We had to take a little ER visit to get a staple in her noggin and, and get it all, all healed up. But uh, kids just do that kind of stuff. And, and luckily, it wasn't worse than that. But but there is a lesson to be learned there, right? Like they're not going to do what they were doing again, hopefully, anytime in the near future. But but kids just do silly stuff. My daughter also has this, this issue. We've had her home from Ethiopia for two years, and she has a really hard time asking for help. She's very self-dependent. She's very uh, strong-willed. And she just has a really hard time asking for help. And so... Uh, what what happens is I'll ask her to to you know change or whatever, and I'll give her a little bit of time, and I'll go in there, and she'll have her arms above her head. Somehow she's you know gotten her shirt so tied around her arms that she is just stuck with her arms in the air. She can't get her head out. It is funny and also sad, but she she just gets in. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Just getting undressed. All right, and you sit there and you you give her the chance to say, hey, can I get some help? And she doesn't, so I leave the room, and then all of a sudden you hear kind of start to pout a little bit. And so I step back in, Hey, what are you doing? Getting, getting undressed. Like, okay. All right. And she doesn't ask for help. So you step out and then you hear her start to cry a little bit. And then you come in, you help her get out of it. And, and I just ask her, Zara, why didn't you ask for help? And she just goes, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I think that this is somehow, sometimes how God looks at us, that he sees us and he's ready. He's ready to help but we sit there and we fight and we're like, no, I got this. I got this. I got this. And then we go a little bit longer and he's like, I'm still here. And we start to get a little bit more frustrated and do stu- even stupider things and dig ourselves in deeper holes. And then eventually it gets to the point where we just need God's help and we finally ask for help. And I feel like God just looks at us and goes, why didn't you ask for help? Why didn't you ask for me to intercede? And we're just those little kids saying, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't ask for help. I should have asked for help. You see, we shouldn't be people whose pride gets in the way of our petitions. I want to say that again. We shouldn't be people whose pride gets in the way of our petitions. We need to be people who are willing to petition to God for God to intercede in our lives and the lives of other people. And we shouldn't be so stubborn to let our pride get in the way. The second question uh, that I want to ask out of this specific 
uh, set of verses is this. Are we people who flatter insincerely? Are we people who flatter insincerely? The psalmist is making a really simple statement. People can be fake, right? People can be fake. And everybody said, amen. We all like thought, you hear that statement, you think of that person, you're like, yeah, she's fake. He's fake. Like, man, I can't stand being around that guy. He's so fake. Every single one of us has been that person or has encountered someone that is either obviously fake or has turned fake later on in our relationship. And in relationships, finding out that someone you've grown close to is a fraud can be devastating, right? Because as human beings, the fact of the matter is this, is that we crave authenticity. And yet we too often find ourselves in inauthentic relationships. And that isn't just other people's fault. That's our fault a lot of the times too. And I think this a lot of the time fears from the stem or stems from the fear of being honest. The fear of being honest creates inauthentic habits in ourselves. The fear of being honest creates these habits that that aren't really who we are, and we start to be inauthentic, and then our friends start to be inauthentic, and we get ourselves in these relationships that are just cyclical, and people aren't really being who they are, and they're not saying what they're actually thinking. So we have to ask ourselves the question, are we insincere flatterers? And this is why that matters. Honesty, it will absolutely cause hard conversations. Honesty will cause very uncomfortable and hard conversations, but no healthy relationships happen when hard conversations are absent. Like hard conversations are absolutely key. It doesn't mean yelling, screaming, fighting, but it means having serious conversations and being able to point things out in each other's lives that would stretch us, that would challenge us, that would help us become the men and women that God has asked us to be. As I sit with young couples, and that makes me feel old to just say that, 31, so I'm not super old, but as I sit with 20-year-old couples, and, and they're talking about like, oh man, we've been together for three months, we've been together for six months, people even who have gotten engaged, and like, we've never had a disagreement, we've never fought. And I'm like, that's not good. Like, honestly, that's not, that's not the best thing because I guarantee you that you annoyed them at some point and they annoyed you at some point and, and you don't want a relationship where it's like every five years you have a big blow up, knock down fight. And then you're like, oh, now we're going to bottle everything up for another five years and we'll have that hash again down the road. We need to be people who are willing to have hard conversations on a regular basis so that things don't get out of hand, but also so that we can challenge each other. And that's not just in our romantic relationships. That's also in our just our personal friendships, that we need to be people who are willing to have hard, serious conversations. We have to be people who are unapologetically sincere with one another. And that doesn't mean that you have to be an a-hole to the people in your life. It just means that you have to refuse to be fake. And that means that I can't be a, a jerk all the time, but I need to be somebody who refuses to be fake. Throughout Jesus's ministry, he was always a straight shooter. Like He was straightforward with people. He loved extraordinarily, but never through false flattery. He would always be able to, to say, tell somebody how valuable they are, how worthy they are, how much they meant to him, but he also wouldn't just like let them off the hook and just flatter them. Like, no, you're doing a great job, bud. No, he'd say, hey, this is where I see you need to work. I, I want to heal that part of your life. I want to give you direction in that part of life because I love you so much. And then a lot of the time he would say the phrase, and now go and sin no more. Not giving p- people license to, to be what they were already being, but to go be something better. And we're always trying to model ourselves after Jesus, right? So let's be people who love extraordinarily, but people who also are willing to challenge and people who are willing to love by telling people the truth. So as we pursue Jesus and we invite others to do the same, let us always be unapologetically authentic with people.
And then there's there's these next two verses, and it actually kind of sets this psalm apart a little bit. It's not it's not very common that this happens. So we have this this uh, request by David, and then we get in the middle of the psalm, we get a response from the Lord in verses five through six. So verse five, it simply says this: It says, "Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan." I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. So the next point today is this, is that protection, it's assured. Protection is assured. You see, David brings this appeal before the Lord, expressing the trouble he's facing. And so often we hesitate to speak out because we feel like it won't be heard. But but this is a great example of God responding to our situation. I will protect them from those who malign them. I will I will now arise and I will protect them from those who malign them. And maybe your situation isn't about flattery or maybe it's not about relational dynamics or whatever it may be. And maybe it is. Either way, what I want you to hear today is that Jesus will stand up for you, that God will stand up for you, that he will protect you, that he will be present. It can be so easy for us to stay in the idea that, that we only serve God. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then it is evident that we serve a God who in turn serves us. His entire life on earth was, was a life of servanthood. In fact, scripture says that, that God did not come to be served, but to serve. And we see that by the ultimate act of, of, of servanthood, of sacrifice on the cross. But he, it was 33 years of him on earth doing these incredible acts of service, loving people so well, not worrying about his own well-being, but always being concerned about the well-being of other people. He cares about our situations. He, he was willing to insert himself into our situations in a physical form for 33 years, but still a God who rose from the grave. And that's very important that we serve a God who is alive and active, who is still willing to place himself in the middle of our situations. So let's be people who understand that God is protecting us, that God is available, that God is a caring God. He cares about your situation, period. We need to be people who serve God, but also understand that in turn, he's always willing to serve us and look out for what is best for us. And then there's there's one more verse to this response that the Lord has, and it's in verse six. It says, and the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. So the next point today is this, is that the words of the Lord are trustworthy, the words of the Lord are trustworthy. And maybe this is something that you you haven't believed up to this point. And maybe this is just something that, that you needed to be reminded of like I did, that the words of the Lord are trustworthy. Way too frequently do I forget the words that God has spoken over me. Way too frequently do I forget the promises that he has made for my, my life. As his creation, I should always remember what God has spoken over me, that I'm beloved, that I'm protected, that I'm important, that I am worth it. And in that, I hope that you hear that too, because you are God's creation, that you are beloved, you are protected, you are important, you are absolutely worth it. We cannot let culture or human beings be the ones whose opinions we care the most about. People and culture, those are things that are going to speak into our lives, but they can't be the loudest voice. It's so important that we allow Jesus's voice to be the loudest presence in our lives. People can be speaking really good things into your life. I can be speaking really good things into your life, but I promise you that there is not any word sentence that I can construct that would possibly communicate how much Jesus loves you. There are not words significant enough for that. 
So let people speak into your life and speak value into your life and speak truth over your life. And those, those are amazing things. That's what we're here for. We're here to prop each other up, to encourage one another, to be advocates for the people in our lives. But we have to understand that Jesus' voice, always full of love, always full of truth, always full of encouragement, is the most important thing in our life. So don't let other people prop you up and not listen to the voice of God propping you up first. I love this. I love the fact that his thoughts towards you and I never change. He consistently and constantly calls us worthy. He is always in love with us. He is always calling us his beloved. And I love this. I love that it talks about his words being as pure as silver and gold. It, it means that that his words can stand the furnace, that the words of God are so trustworthy that they can stand the heat of the furnace. They can stand the fire, that his words are so tr- trustworthy and, and so full of truth that, that it can stand up against any test that we or other people would throw at them. So let us never forget that the words of the Lord are absolutely, unquestionably trustworthy. So here's where we find ourselves. We have a request from David, a response from the Lord, and then the last two verses, we get to see David's resolution. So a request, a response, and now a resolution in verses seven through eight. It says this, you, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. You see, David could have come to a different conclusion in this moment. He could have questioned it, but instead he leaned into the promise of God. He, he had this request, this appeal before the Lord. The Lord responds, and he, he could have said, you know what? I don't believe you. I don't believe that to be true. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves, right? That we, we hear the word of the Lord. We, we hear the, the, the gospel message that Jesus loves us so much that he's willing to protect us, that he's willing to advocate for us. He's willing to fight for us. And we get to make the decision in those moments of saying, yes, I believe that to be true, and I'm going to lean into the promise of God, or I'm going to pull back from that. I'm going to run away from that because I don't believe that that is true. You see, what we see is David finding resolute confidence in the belief that God's words are truly trustworthy. That that there's this resolute confidence that that God is who he said he is. And because I believe that he is my creator, that I, I believe that he is my savior, I believe that he's my king, I'm going to believe that and I'm going to lean in to the promises of God. So here's what I want to do this week. I want to wrap this up with, with two questions and two, two challenges. And I want you to take time this week. And I want you to dialogue with yourself about them. I want you to dialogue with God about them. I want you to dialogue with people in your life about them and have conversations and chew on these things because we grow better together and we need to be in community. So the first question that I want to ask is, where would you rate your confidence in God? Where would you rate your confidence in God? And I know that's kind of a weird question. It kind of feels like a survey, like from one to 10, how was your experience with God this week? And I get that. But this is, this is why I asked that question. I think that we've bought into a lie that we can't possibly ever find ourselves unsure of our confidence in God or questioning our confidence in God. That if it's not at a 10 all the time, then we, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And my hope is that regularly you find yourself so confident in what God is doing. But I think that often we question it. And, and this is why... I want to say this next statement is because because too often we get these things confused. Do not confuse your confidence in God with your current confidence in yourself. Do not confuse your confidence in God with your current confidence in yourself. And here's what I mean by that. We can often see the things that God has asked us to do and disqualify ourselves and then in turn believe that God doesn't know what he is doing. That we would say something along the lines of God 
God doesn't know me very well because if he knew me, he wouldn't ask me to step in to that conversation. If God knew me, he wouldn't ask me to stand in front of those people. If God knew me, he wouldn't make that request of me. But I promise you that God knows you better than you know yourself, that he knows you to your innermost being, and he is so confident in how he created it and created you and why he created you. So don't let your own self-confidence deter you from having confidence in God. And too often, that's what actually happens is that we don't believe in God or or we, we start to lose confidence in God because we're losing confidence in ourselves. But God wants you to have so much confidence in yourself and through that, have so much confidence in him because he made you exactly the way that you are and knows exactly what you're capable of. So if your confidence is low, my encouragement would be this, find out where that doubt is rooted and let the God who created you speak truth and worthiness and qualification over that part of your life to know that if God is asking you to do something, he believes that you can accomplish it. God is so confident in you. So let's be people who are confident in him. The second question I wanna ask, are you living a life of authenticity? Am I living a life of authenticity? Is there a discrepancy between who I am and who I am making others believe that I am? That's really important. Is there a discrepancy between those two things? And am I genuinely speaking into the lives of the people in my life? Or is it all a show? Right? Am I, am I, am I trying to create this perspective for people to have? Or am I actually being who it is that I am? Am I willing to call people out on their BS and do I have and do I have people that are willing to call me out on mine? That's really important. It's hard to be authentic with people if you don't have these honest relationships that are willing to, to call out the hard things. You see, we cannot fool people and we absolutely cannot fool God. God knows us perfectly and you'd think that you're fooling people, but usually people are adept enough to, to know, hey, what, what's going on over there? Something is off there. We cannot fool God and we can rarely fool people. It takes a lot less effort to be honest than it does to try to lie our way around things. It takes a lot less effort to be authentic than to try to create these perceptions for people to have. Quickly, two challenges. First of all, talk to God for three minutes every day this week. Three minutes. You spend time on TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is for two hours a day. Three minutes sitting in, in in the presence of God is not a big ask. Three minutes. That's all I'm asking. Three minutes every day this week. You can be thankful. You can be full of questions. You can be full of praise. You can be pissed off. Whatever you want to be, just be in conversation. Three minutes. And the second challenge, a follow up challenge to that is listen to God for at least as long as you talk. Listen to God for at least as long as you talk. This is where that whole one mouth, two ears principle comes in, right? The, the, we have two ears so we can listen more than we speak. That's so important that we understand that if we're going to talk for three minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes and we're going to speak at God, we'd be people who would willing to sit in God's presence and listen for him to answer. And it might not be an audible voice. It probably won't. If it is, that's awesome. But, but what he's going to do is he's going to impress things upon your heart. He's going to impress people upon your heart. He's going to ask you to do some things. He's going to challenge you in certain areas. He's, he's going to convict you of some things. And that's not always fun. But we need to be people who aren't just speaking at God, but who are willing to have that two-way communication because this is a participatory relationship. There's something that needs to be reciprocated. As we are speaking to God, we also want to take the time to listen to God. He always has something to say. We just don't always listen. Hey, Thanks again for tuning into week three of the Psalm series here in the College Age Movement podcast. If you're in Billings, please, please come Tuesday night, seven o'clock here at Faith Chapel. We'd love to be in community with you, get you plugged in, get you around people who are pursuing Jesus just like you are. And uh, if you're not in Billings, we hope this podcast continues to be something that, that brings you life every week. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you soon.